and welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast where we explore how we can work towards liberation, healing, and transformation one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Samantha Yannity. Community organizer or rabble rouser, peace builder or troublemaker, community organizer Michael Alcantara has taken some heat for his organizing efforts. But that hasn't stopped him from pursuing justice for the sake of restoring human dignity to his Filipino siblings. On this week's episode, Samantha and Michael sit down and discuss how community organizing is inherently spiritual and how people of faith can respond to the crises in the Philippines. Michael is a member of PUSO Seattle, Philippine U.S. Solidarity Organization and ICHIRP, International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines. He is a graduate of Seattle University and he recently wrote an article for A Matter of Spirit for the summer 2021 issue. Hi, Michael, thanks for jumping on. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me today too. So what do you do exactly? So have some history with I used to be a professional graphic designer, actually. Um, My first four or five years out of school was working for a variety of places. Um, Eventually ended up with like a a Microsoft contractor Um, and kind of in the height of Black Lives Matter stuff, uh, was just sensing a lot of like cognitive dissonance between I think the folks I was working with there. Kind of just did a re-pivot, ended up working at a high school for a little bit and then moved towards working at, uh, I worked at St. Joe's uh, for a while as a, as a janitor, African recess monitor. Um, Everything. To, yeah, <laughs> done a lot of different things. Um, even in like previous to those times, I was working like some food service. I was working as like a, a beer tender for a while, but I have like recently, my barista experience, which was what I'm doing right now. I worked at the, the veterans hospital for about a year. Oh, wow. What were you doing there? Yeah, I was a barista there. Um, really? Yeah. What was that experience like? Whew. Um, there was a lot there. I, I initially looked at the job because it was close to where I live. I live in like the South Beacon Hill neighborhood. Um, and then when I got there, it was greeted by, there are just many like migrant Filipinos that do work there as well. So I think in the midst of working there, got to know some of those folks. COVID happened in the middle of that, which I think kind of interfered they usually, I think what I heard from like historically with those groups is they would like have lots of barbecues and social get togethers, but that was something we weren't quite doing. So instead, I think, yeah, we just noticed other coffee shops, other places that would have kind of protective gear and like even like PPE as like a standard. And as the time went on, I remember in, yeah, the middle of a month was that March when the first mandate of like stay-at-home order came into place a few weeks went by um, I was like are we going to get PPE another month went by I had already been in community organizing but noticing now that like yeah this this stuff is now usually I'm like coming from a place where I'm like in the professional job fighting for other people but I'm now in this place where I'm working like side by side with the folks that maybe aren't provided the resources they need um yeah kind of got a, like a big group together we had a demonstration outside of the VA. <laughs> Were you organizing? I was you, organizing. Kind of like um, forming your own union. <laughs> similar. Yeah. I had to do some research on like what the union's policies were on it. Um, had a lot of conversations with people 
um, he added like, like, what would we need? Like, why aren't we getting PPE? What's our like localized like stance on this? What does the management think? Um, wow. A lot of different layers and also asking the workers like how they felt, if they had any direct impacts yet, like with their families. Cause many of those folks, yeah, worked one or two jobs and the, yeah, in our department specifically, um, I think just, it was, I, when I say it was a lot, I think it, yeah, it kind of like poked at a lot of my own psyche. Um, yeah, just feeling like, I think especially in the early months of COVID, like feeling really exposed um, and not cared for and trying to see if my coworkers felt similarly. Eventually I like, sent a letter to Adam Smith about it um, being in his district. Like we got folks from the Veterans for Peace to turn out and then a lot of the the organizations like Gabriela, Anak Bayan, uh, the Bayan folks to, to support the Filipino workers there. I think they delivered work, they delivered flowers and, and PPE to them on that day. Just, like we're with you. Um, so I was there for a bit and then eventually got let go in August, which I think um, may or may not have had a direct relation to maybe some of the rabble rousing that I was doing. Um, what so happened I, in August? I got let go by by the VA then. Oh wow, that stinks. Yeah. Um, and uh, but eventually was able to land on my feet, which is where I work now. I work at the station coffee shop on on Beacon Hill. And I do that now for three, four days a week. So long answer short, that's that's what I do. <laughs> do you feel money. like you're a natural born organizer? Ooh. Um <laughs> there's some things that tell me I'm not. Um, some things that tell me I am and like I think what? Whew, the things that tell me I'm not are I think things I've been like reviewing in therapy <laughs> like uh, feelings of inadequacy like uh, low self-esteem um, I think that tells you you are <laughs> organizing hard it's very hard but uh yeah the things that tell me I'm yeah I guess it's not being able to see work happen quickly um, maybe they, like, that can even be an element of impatience sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But the things that tell me I do and am and can and am doing it, um, it's I'm being on podcasts like this right now, right on. sharing the story. Um, it's connecting to the times I've been in the Philippines where I see people there who do the best with what they can and really maximize it, uh, maximize yeah their their time, their voice, uh, their work and. Yeah, I think that's always inspiring to to know that that I can kind of be connected to that too. And as someone now who has visited and now has a platform and yeah, places like this, um, in the newsletter you featured me in, um, I was in a uh, a meeting of the members of Color Caucus for the Washington Senate a few weeks ago. Like to to be able, it was really rad to be able to yeah have that opportunity to share Filipino experiences alongside Afghan and Palestinian like solidarity experiences is something I'm like really humbled by um, that kind of helps meter out some of that <laughs> insecurity sometimes. And even to help me like silence that voice to be like, well, I've got the platform now. There's many people that I've, I've met and integrated with in the past that um, yeah, I'm speaking for and with anytime I have a platform. So yeah, I think that those are things that help me connect to being, thinking that I am an organizer, if not, knowing that I'm like continually trying to live into that every day. Right. How long have you been doing justice work? Like what was the moment that inspired you to be like, yes, I, I need to get involved in, in this. 
I'd say formally, um, what year is it now? 20, I'm 34. It was when I was 28. But even before that, I think my parents have always instilled in me this notion of like caring for other folks, humility, to be steadfast and to continue working for, for other people and like a greater good. And my parents worked two jobs growing up. Um, I didn't, I saw them, I think, for, for given how much they were working, I did see them a lot too. And I'm really lucky for that. But I also have had lots of aunties and, and cousins and ditos come over and help raise us too. I give also a lot of credit to my my mommy, my grandma, who helped like live with us. And even like, though I would get in arguments with them, like my siblings, we had a, a pretty good relationship. But I think watching a very, I think I watch a lot. And my parents were big showers rather than tellers um and i think that thing is something i'm trying to reconcile now is i think the communication of things but um there are a lot of expectations growing up it was like you watch this you see us do it we we kind of we're modeling this for you we expect you to kind of live into that um mm-hmm. so i think organizing in a lot of different ways is um showing people that uh, yeah the world can be different uh, that things can change that and that things can can benefit everyone or more people and uh yeah i think that i'm thinking about that in a lot of different spaces um i grew up in like the north end which isn't predominantly filipino but i feel like i've been moving like or even like predominantly poc and right. i moved farther and farther down south but i've always had um in my own positionality like experience in even like the public schools i went to growing up were yeah, we're composed of more rich white folks. And then going to Seattle Prep and Seattle U, like mm-hmm. recognizing that, yeah, like I can communicate and it, it can be looked at as like coding, but in also in a lot of ways, I'm trying to look at the the positives of it, which give me opportunities to speak to church communities or to um, yeah, more like rich communities, but also know that language to also share these stories that maybe seem a little more distant um, and to give folks an internalization of things they can do because everyone can do something. And uh, I think it's something I like, I firmly believe in. What is something that you're working on right now? I I know when you wrote for a matter of spirit, you were working on the Filipino human rights act. Are you still working on that or is there a new legislation that's coming up? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. We're also, we are still working on it. Our team, which is composed of members from the group that I'm involved with, which is the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, um, as well as the Malaya Movement, which is the movement to um, opposing like a, another fascist or the fascist activities that have been happening in the Philippines amongst US-based Filipinos. We've been working on a legislative team um, yeah, that's been championing the PHRA or the Philippine Human Rights Act. And it's actually very appropriate timing. Uh, I just got an email that Pramila Jayapal will be signing on to it. Um, wow, that's exciting. <laughs> so we're still working on it. We're still trying to get our reps signed on to it. Um, in the last few months, yeah, we've met with all of the, the representatives that we were, I think, projecting to try to have at least one meeting with, which include Pramila, um, also include like Adam Smith, and then even our senators, Cantwell and Murray. And now even have some headway with the potential of a resolution being proposed in the Seattle City Council that would have similar language to the PHRA. Other folks have been trying to like kind of request meetings or for us to to sit down with them. 
yeah, so still very much working on that. I remember growing up, my parents left the Philippines in the late 70s, early 80s, which was kind of midway through the Ferdinand Marcos, like martial law dictatorship period. So they left. And I think in organizing too, it's helped me like organize myself <laughs> in the context of history. Like that might sound really dramatic, but. No, that sounds really cool, yeah. though. That's a good framing to organize yourself in the context of history. Do you think that's like, kind of organizing or reframing or, or, or retelling of your story or can you say more about that or what that means? Yeah, I think it's even put it just telling the story as it is. I think something I'm recognizing a lot is like I've had all these different filters for what the history yeah, it's like why I'm here in the States. It's because the government is corrupt. Um, why I have had the luxury of having like a good education when I see other Filipinos even read stories like um, who aren't given those opportunities or that puts me in relation to even just identifying as a Filipino that like was born and raised here in the States. It helps me, it's helping me organize like the identity piece, like who am I? And, who, and then eventually, like, who do I stand for? Who do I fight for? Um, who am I with? Um, so I think that's even what I meant, yeah, by that statement. Um, and even in doing so, yeah, this organ, like the, the organizing work I've been doing, especially since um, for the last four or five years, has um, really uh, like allowed and given my space, even given space to like my parents to share more about the experiences of what it was like living in the Philippines um, before I was born. And then, yeah, stories that I would have to like, like, I, I don't think it would take, it would take a, a lot of poking to get some of the stories that I've gotten out of them out. But the fact that they see, and they're not totally in agreement with all the work I do, but um, they, they see that there's a good portion of the work that I'm doing, which comes from trying to connect with what they left behind um, for better or for worse, which so yeah, it elicits all these different feelings of yeah, grieving the pride, the, um, the who they once were, what they've become now. Um, so it kind of yeah, reorganizes all the history and the rationale and yeah, why we even do things um, and have done things in a, I think a more illuminating, like truthful light. Do you think that this, uh, you mentioned like the grieving, the, you know, describing your, the story of like your life, your, in, in relationship to your parents leaving the Philippines, do you, would you say that that's, I don't know, like the, I, I imagine that's like the immigrant story of America, like when Americans, when people are becoming new Americans or moving into this country, that there's like this loss and rebirth, there's kind of like, in a theological context, it's, we might say it's incarnational life, death, resurrection. Um, I'm just curious on your your take on that. Like, what do you feel is kind of like the, I don't know, it, the story of your family, the immigrant story. I don't, I, do you consider yourself like a tied to that title immigrant child or, or no? Yeah, I very, very much so. Um, I think even in, you're reminding me of, uh, which even kind of spurned um, the desire to, I think, be a more formal organizer. Um, I was doing 
these anti-imperialist Bible studies. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> oh, very, very, very formative. Um, wow. And I think that's just another layer of, yeah, like, um, whenever I hear folks, um, in my opinion, like oversimplify um, religious terms to, to just pure dogma or, um, or even things that aren't grounded in, in reality, I'm reminded of, yeah, these weekly um, gatherings of like fellowship between mm-hmm. like folks of, um, it was very, it was like ecumenical space. So you had folks who were Lutherans, Episcopalians, um, Mennonites, Catholics, um, kind of getting together. And even folks who yeah, didn't identify with any particular tradition, um, getting together to talk about the word. I mean, just talking about it, it was like figuring out ways that we stand like with, yeah, the with right relationship, like with um, like seeing like Jesus and even some of the, even like a lot of the stories is like um, a compilation of like, uh, like people's movements, um, even in Jesus uh, himself, like being an organizer and as someone who was like mm-hmm. killed by the state, um, by the empire, like the Roman empire at the time, which was um, like Swiss cheesing, like territories and um, having people, I think even like, not in a, a grounded way, I feel united with each other. Um, the beginning of the extraction of the people and resources um, that we see even kind of like played out now um, by more players and even our own country, um, things we're very, very critical about. And that even being like a, an embodiment of like being, being, being in the world, but out of the world um, where we're still like trying to reach that higher call and even just kind of recalibrating, reading all these different, readings are like, um, yeah, teachings we had heard in the catechism or even in mass every week um, in a way that was more towards towards action and honestly towards our, our, our true identity as an obligation towards each other, um, towards God um, and towards nature too. Um, so yeah, I think those that that is reminding me of um, I'm trying to remember your question now. <laughs> but, oh, I was asking you about, um, you mentioned imperialistic Bible studies, like anti-imperialism. And I was yeah. like, oh, I got to crack that open for a minute because yeah. they don't hear that very often. But it was, but I was asking you about, you know, this, because circling back to what you said about your parents coming to the United States and like, you know, how do you identify with like this kind of immigration story and and this, I, you know, and and I, because I, when you mentioned the grief and the loss, it kind of made me think of incarnationally, like life, death, resurrection, and if that's part of the story, or you know, I feel like that's kind of part of many immigrant stories. And it was from my family's, you know, generations past. There was a lot of letting go of t- taking up and being reborn again into something new. I mean, I just wanted to hear your take, like what you, how do you see? yourself and your life and your family and all of that yes I think is yeah how to answer that there's ooh, my favorite time of year and I've it's a I we haven't been able to practice as much just given COVID protocols and everything but um even just with the music and the theme is Easter season um I love it 
it's and that's the that's the good news that's the call that we get to live not just in that season but it's it's the formative thing that is such a a cornerstone of our faith is that we believe that what is in front of us is more than what it is and or that we are ultimately like able to transform um that even death can become life so but that also another way i've been also trying to meter that with affirming like the sadness and the the um yeah the very real like violence and destruction and like things though those are real too um uh i'll connect this but i remember on my first trip to the philippines i was walking um around with one of the organizers there and uh yeah she had survived martial law um and also had been introducing me to different folks around um like the or the office that they're at they're like okay this 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 guy here um this gentleman like was in was a political prisoner for 10 plus years um he has a big ass smile on his face and he was like um yeah walking around cleaning things um we would go to the uh like the the transit um she's like yeah this is generally late and even right now um there have been proposals uh to have like a swiss or a german company like fix this train but it hasn't been done um so it kind of is keeping the government and hostage with that but even even then there probably be people in like the higher city or county levels of government that'll try to like milk money after this and then it won't actually address fixing this uh, this very real need which is like big tra transportation in this very densely populated city and i was like oh okay wow that's that's like really sad um but i think even still for me uh, when i'm recognizing that i still had a very like saccharine like um reception of that that story um and then finally like the next two things we went to a play that were then documenting the even then were happening the the, the extrajudicial killings that were happening um, from the then uh, from the current president like president duterte and it was a, a play that was like reenacting some of these things um some of these occasions um of extrajudicial killings of feeling of like families being torn apart and remember even after that it was like oh wow that's a this is a really like impactful like story and then i, I can kind of see her like furrowed brows like okay and even after that we um visited a new organization, like a mass organization that had been formed just from the families of folks who had um, been affected by extrajudicial killings. So you had mourning mothers, um, sons and daughters, um, and folks just getting together to share a story. And I think something she told me, she was like, before you respond to this, I, I just want you to just see this for what it is. You don't try to turn it. Um, don't try to like like uh, maybe extract the goodness out of it yet. Like sometimes things are just bad, um, right. and I think that's something I'm like really um, I've been reflecting about. That that trip was what was that like five years ago, um, and but I also do hold the yeah the very real relationship there of also like death and life as well. Um, I think the work that we're trying to do organizing wise is to. Um, have the kingdom come it's to have us like um 
continue doing the work with more hands to bring like God's kingdom on earth to show that there's enough for everyone um, so that uh, fathers, mothers, sons and daughters don't have to be in these relationships anymore with either the, yeah, the, the government or like in um, uh, disproportionately like affected by natural disasters. Um, uh, it's also to be able to hold up the, like the Philippine story, like I, not, not any higher than any other story, but it's like what's been calling me in the, the anti-imperialist Bible study that I was reading was like, I have to also have a, a particular role in this. Like my history right. is important. Um, and again, not to hold it any higher, but to put it in the full mosaic of all these things kind of move and move with and along and in movement together. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so I kind of took that leap, I think when I was having that cognitive dissonance, like as a, as a designer, but also in going to these sessions, also making a lot of money, but also seeing like my brothers and sisters on the street, like more plentiful by the day as I was walking mm -hmm. home, like, um, yeah, it really was a deep call. It was a vocation. It was something that I can't, I can kind of explain in my body, but otherwise or in my head, but um, it was also just something I needed to do. Um, and I think that really was, yeah, I think talking with God, it was talking with um, the, yeah, it was, it was, it was meeting the conditions and trying to, trying to do something different, um, but also living out the word in a way that I think I, I could do it more genuinely. Wow, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Circling back to these extrajudicial killings that are happening in the Philippines, for people who are, didn't yet read your article, and they should, um, <laughs> and, and uh, if people are not familiar, would you mind explaining um, this current uh, crisis in the Philippines and um, like what is happening and why these killings are happening? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the, I was seeing it's not newly, yeah, he's about to, they're about to have Philippine elections again, but um, President Rodrigo Duterte um, was already a controversial figure, but um, was elected um, to be president of the Philippines back in 2017. And he already kind of had a history of being um, like very tough on crime and um, almost yeah, almost a corollary to what we saw here in the States with Trump. Um, he wasn't a political, like, professional, per se. Like, he was not seen as someone who was a, um, like, a mainstream politician, which I think appealed to a lot of Filipinos at the time as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was responsible for also cleaning up a city in the uh, southernmost part of the Philippines called Davao. Um, but used, I think, lots of um, more violent, like militaristic tactics, um, using the police to, to kind of quell that. Um, and it was, yeah, one narrative was like, oh, you really cleaned it up. Um, when in fact, it was a lot of yeah, violent killings that occurred. Um, so given that as his like reputation, um, he took that to the office of the president where he was elected. And um, yeah, has continued to, the, it was under the promise of like ending um, or like doing a war on, on drugs. I've extended that to the, to the whole of the country. And so instead of yeah, giving folks more resources, like the root of the drug problem, as with any money issues, mm -hmm. people not getting what they need. It's 
you know, the same reasons why my parents like left the country for corruption or not like a lack of opportunity. Yeah, it's a country that 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 exports more than it gets to keep at its core. So, but instead of addressing those root issues, um, continued the crusade of uh, violent killings uh, that he was as did as a mayor in his presidency. So the many of the victims of these like uh, petty drug crimes uh, were like definitely folks in the urban poor. And then what we're seeing now is um, laws that were now enacted called the anti-terror law, which is also just a corollary to uh, like the Patriot Act um, is now giving uh, Duterte's government the license to surveil folks, um, Mm -hmm. to charge them even for like social media. uh, Social media, wow, I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, that even like seems to challenge the government, limiting public gatherings. So that's like, that's one component. It's like, it's, a, and especially I think what we are very, very concerned about is it's giving license to attack um, or uh, call like organizers, um, like like myself or other folks who like go on the ground to try to help people get what they need. And yeah, and w- with our justified like criticisms of the government to be able to like um, characterize um, folks from abroad, but also on the ground, especially on the ground there who are environmental mm-hmm. defenders, who are housing advocates, who are uh, uh, like folks fighting for working rights um, the, that gives the government basically the green light to call them terrorists and kind of continue um, killings, if not, um, like direct targeting by the police and the military. Um, so that's exactly why we're doing, um, yeah, one way that we're trying to address that is the Philippine Human Rights Act, which would cut US aid um, to the Philippines while um, this president is under power. Um, another weird pivot is that he's, um, he's, uh, he's declared that he's running for vice president in this oh, next well. Um, and to extend, to try to extend his power. Exactly, exactly. And how long are the terms? They are four-year terms, so. Okay. So, and then all of this is at, like similar to like what's been going on in the U.S. in the sense of like our war on terror, our war on drugs. It's like under the guise of like, oh, we're trying to de- defend our country, so to speak, but who exactly are we defending, defending, I'm, put, I'm putting that in air quotes. Yeah. Um, I think that's what's the problem with a lot of these systems, but the United States is kind of, well, not kind of, is to blame for a lot of these issues too, because of our involvement in all of this. You touch on that a little bit in, in um, your article would you mind kind of contextualizing that a little bit more? Like how has the, our American policies impacted um, the Philippines? Absolutely. Um, I'd even go back to, I'm going to go back to 18, but like 1890s um, when, yeah, the Philippines has like a, has a deep like um, fighting, like revolutionary history. Um we were occupied by the Spanish for 400 years. Um, and yeah, the Filipino people were beginning to, to organize themselves and gather themselves as a people um, by the end of yeah, the 1800s. Um, and even were ready and had 
fought off the Spanish at the time, like in the 1898. And um, this treaty, the Treaty of Paris actually um, is something that then codified the sale of, of the Philippines from Spain to the US for then I think the equivalent of like $2 million. It also had other territories involved in that as well. I think uh, like Puerto Rico, some other like uh, smaller islands were also in that deal. But um, that kind of helped set a trajectory of the US influence um, on, on the Philippines from that point forward. Um, after that, yeah, the US would send um, its like teaching forces called the Thomasites, um, who kind of taught Filipinos like uh, English or even particular ways of doing things, um, kind of like yeah, modeling this like colonial uh, mentality that yeah, kind of model like uh, get set forth the, the colonial mentality. I think a lot of us are still um, yeah, it sounds like whitewashing. Yeah, um, and even then, yeah, we'd have different characterizations from folks like from presidents like Teddy Roosevelt, who um, named Filipinos as like these savages. Um, there's a, a general, um, forgetting his name, but even kind of, it spurned this Philippine-American war that happened in the early 1900s as well, um, where the eight, the eight millimeter bullet was developed to, to more effectively kill Filipinos. Um, oh my gosh, that and, I did not know. Yeah, so there's, yeah, stories of uh, like American generals wanting, uh, because of our the, the fighting spirit to have um, areas of the Philippines wanting to sound like a, like a howling wilderness to really show the, the people who really were, were in charge. Um, so even from that, um, yeah, lots of different struggles and um, I think even like betrayals of what like um, the Philippine identity was. Um, like I'll flash forward, I think even to the to, to Marcos's time, um, where he passed this legislation called the um, the Visiting Forces Agreement, which um, kind of allows American forces to train, but also keep post in uh, the Philippines. Uh, and then also the other, the, I think the other big, big factor, which um, contributes to, from like figures I've heard, like 7,000 Filipinos leaving um, the country a day. We're in every country, every continent, um, is this thing called a labor export policy, which even incentivizes Philippines leaving their own country to go find better opportunities. It's the same reason why my parents left. And uh, yeah, a, a considerable part of the Filipino uh, GDP is with these things called remittances where money is sent home. Um, so wealth that's gained elsewhere is brought back to the country. Um, I think other internalizations of the country is that it's, uh, I'm gonna confuse this, but it's import, um, import dependent export um, oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a, just a short way of saying that, that we don't get to keep our own wealth. Um, our, our country is, is so plentiful and makes, yeah, we have like all of these um, uh, mineral reserves we have, every fruit and vegetable you can think of um kind of probably could produce for the world a, feel, a few times over but um the people there are poor like the, right. the land is very rich but the people are poor mm -hmm. um and i think these are things that have been um 
accentuated and, and poked at by, by the American involvement. Um, and even in national meetings that I've heard of uh, with the Biden administration um, about not wanting to stop their um, contributions to US aid to the Philippines, they say it pretty frankly that it's like, well, this is our, our diplomatic position for us human rights is kind of secondary to our interests to fighting China, um, which China has also been abusing the Philippines as well. So we're kind of put in a very tough position on that. Um, and again, I really appreciate you like giving me the platform to share this because I think it gets oversimplified at times, but I think that's yes. where, um, yeah, we've, we've been put in, like we are in like a, a weird geopolitical position, but there are people fighting for, for what? like true like dignity um, and an agency looks like for the Filipino people. Thank you for explaining all of that. I get so disturbed by the idea of such a plentiful and resource-filled country being commodified in such a colonized, brutal way so that the people aren't receiving what's their own resources. It reminds me a lot of um, what we see on native and indigenous land in the United States, like with what's going on with line three, where it's like the abuse of the natural resources and the dignity of humans that not having access to their own sacred land and water and resources. And it just, it just, that's what pops out in my head. Oh, this is what, why imperialism colonization is so deadly. And they, and we're still sitting in the effects of all of that. Um, I want to like close out our time together asking you, what are some things that you want to tell our listeners, things that we should be looking out for, any websites that we should be going to throw some, some, advocacy our way <laughs> <laughs> yeah again um yeah i think just knowing my audience um yeah i just i want to be pretty french transparent like yeah, i'm not sharing the same things that i would share with even the folks that I, like i was working at like the the va with or or things like that i know like and this is from my own knowledge just from yeah being in faith or church or like spaces i know like yeah folks here probably are a little more resourced or they probably, um, um, even from my own internalization and like my development and like trying to become an organizer, like can get really overwhelmed with the world. Yeah, I think like it can get, you can get really easy to be like, well, which issue then? So I, I say that to be transparent with also the things I'll be sharing, but also as an affirmation to be like, I, I'm hoping I see you too. Um, <laughs> being is hard, I think with the podcast, but um, that that's just to be transparent about what I'm sharing with this offer. So thank you for this offer too. Um, I'm involved with the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines. If you, you as an individual or yeah, any congregations, um, groups, um, anyone listening to this uh, would love to, in fact, just learn more. Um, me and the other folks who organize around that um, in this area in Seattle or the greater Puget Sound would love to jump on a, a webinar um, can meet up with you at your congregation. Um, yeah, this this copy job affords me a lot of flexibility during the week. Um, 
So Yemi and the other organizers are happy to, to meet you where you're at um, in all the senses <laughs> and um, to tell you more about like iChirp. Um, another call, yeah, I think, again, really like blessed timing, but like, yeah, even just seeing today how uh, Pramila Jayapal signed on to the PHRA. Um, uh, I, could, I could pass on a link for how we are instructing folks to advocate for the Philippine Human Rights Act of the PHRA. So you can also lobby, um, email, call uh, your different representatives. Um, every little bit counts on that. Um, and we figure, I, I figure that that's probably a, if you aren't like as comfortable like going on the streets or even like jumping on a bullhorn, which not everyone does, but um, <laughs> if yeah, the if that route is more comfortable for you, like yeah, we have we have trainings, we have work, um, uh, like little orientations that can show folks how to do that. Um, yeah, if you want to follow us, we're most active right now on Instagram. We probably should start a Facebook, um, but the Instagram <laughs> is at i c h r p dot seattle again at ichrp dot seattle shoot i could go on for a while there have been natural disasters that hit the philippines now at a disproportionate rate like in the last five six years they've been hit with giant typhoons um so we'll probably put out a campaign in the next month or two um to help uplift um support for that because it is it's something to expect um given the and again these are the interrelations with environmental right. climate yeah, and climate change the how to show the filipino people dignity um it's it's something i'm like yeah i'm happy to, to share more about but really appreciate the space and the time that we've had together thank you for joining us today this podcast is a work of intercommunity peace and justice center in seattle washington IPJC is sponsored by 24 religious organizations and acts to create systemic change in the world and in the church. For, for more information on IPJC and to support our work, go to IPJC.org. For more content like this, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in next time when I sit down with Crystal Corona Fleischmann to talk about accompaniment. <laughs>